Say with me, he restores my soul. Now, please understand with me that this is a shepherd's psalm. And I know I've brought this up every time, and I'll do it every single time we teach on the 23rd Psalm. It's a shepherd's psalm. David was a shepherd. When God called him to be king over Israel, he had known one thing, shepherding sheep. And when Samuel anointed him to be next king over Israel, he was about 17 years old. Can you imagine that? He was 30 when he ascended the throne. But he was anointed to ascend that throne when he was 17. So between the promise and the provision, there was a whole lot of problem. Between the promise and provision, there was problem. Amen? And so 13 years of trouble, 10 of those years running from Saul, who was trying to kill him. During that time, many of the Psalms were birthed. During that time. That's where David really learned that God was his shepherd. Because God protected him. God kept him from Saul. Saul was a very capable warrior, very capable man. He was leading the entire Israeli army in pursuit of David. It is a miracle of God that David was never apprehended and killed by Saul. And so time and again, you find different psalms written when he was hiding in caves, lying in the fields. His only ceiling was the stars at night, and his only protection was the anointing of God, the angels of God. He came to know God as his protector and as his shepherd. So when he says, the Lord is my shepherd, he's not just trying to be poetic. He is saying, I have found him to be my shepherd. Now, the 23rd Psalm is progressive. It leads from one truth to another, from one revelation to another, from one fact about God as shepherd to another. Now, in verse 3, he identifies God as the one who restores his soul. Now your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. Your soul is comprised of that part of you that has all the memories, has all the feelings, has all the thoughts. It's your mind. Suke is the Greek word. We get psycho or psychology from the Greek word suke, your soul. If you need healing of the memories, it's in your soul. He restores my soul. If you're a happy person, you're happy in your soul. He identifies God now as the one who is ongoingly, progressively restoring his soul. Now, what do we need restoration from? Well, we can name a lot of things. You need restoration from times you've been hurt. You need restoration from times you've been damaged. Don't you think, David, in running from who used to be his mentor who used to be his king, who used to be the one who called upon him to play music so that demons would depart from him. He knew Saul in many different ways. And now he knows him as the one who is trying to murder him. Don't you know that he needed restoration from damaged emotions in his soul? And I'm going to tell you something, folks, what the church is comprised of. It's comprised of a bunch of bleeding people. We've all been hurt. We've all been hurt. We've all got memories that need to be healed. We've all had disappointments and woundings in the soul. You can't see the soul. You can hear it. You can see it on the faces of people. You can see it on expressions. You can see it by the way somebody carries him or herself. But you can't see the soul. But if we could see it, you would see people walking in those doors on a Sunday morning, bleeding in different parts of their soul. We live in a damaged culture, a damaged society. The minute that Adam and Eve 
ate of that fruit, we became a damaged race, a damaged species, a damaged people. Everybody has sinned and falls short of the glory of God. And when you sin, it damages your soul. You cannot sin without damaging your soul. And so David said, I know that I'm in a world where my soul needs to be restored, and I recognize that God is the one who restores my soul. Now, how does he do it? Well, here's how God does it. He leads you in paths of righteousness for his namesake. That's how God heals or restores the soul. If you'll turn with me for a moment to Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 11, he's talking about the chastening of God. Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. When God chastens you, it's painful. It's painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by the chastening of God. Now, watch this. Therefore, now you know what I say about therefore. Anytime you see a therefore, you need to see what it's there for. Therefore is connecting one verse to another. So when you see therefore, a truth has been stated, and now he's wanting you to connect what has just been stated with what he's about to say. So he says, therefore, in light of the fact that the chastening of God is painful, but it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness, he says, therefore, strengthen the hands that hang down and the feeble knees, and what does it say in verse 13? Make straight paths for your feet, so that what is lame, what needs to be healed, what is wounded, what is damaged, may not be dislocated, but rather be healed. Now I want you to notice there, you've got something in your life, something in your soul that is damaged. And he said the answer, the way to experience healing in your soul is paths of righteousness. Paths of righteousness. He says, make straight paths for your feet. Clearly talking about walking that narrow way, walking that narrow road, walking that narrow path that is constricted and restricted But when you walk it in obedience to God, it brings life to you and it brings healing to your soul. Anytime you or anybody else falls into a realm of sin and you become damaged by it, the best thing that you can do is repent and say, now Lord, I'm going to commit myself to walking in paths of righteousness because that's what's going to heal me. And you begin to obey God. I mean, you get up every morning, you seek God, and you obey what he shows you to do through his word. And he says, that will heal your soul. Now, we get a lot of understanding from studying real sheep. If you really want to understand Psalms 23, study real shepherds and real sheep. Because real sheep are notorious creatures of habit. They're creatures of habit. Have you ever noticed what a creature of habit you are? Philip Keller says that they will, first of all, follow the same trails until those trails become ruts. Sheep will follow the same trails over and over until those trails become ruts. They will graze the same hills until they become wastelands. They'll graze the side of a hill until it's barren. They'll stay somewhere until there's nothing left. They will pollute their own ground until it's corrupt with disease and parasites. That's what dumb sheep do. Now, God calls you and me sheep. So it must be 
Since he calls us sheep, he didn't call us horses, he didn't call us birds, he called us sheep. So that means we must follow the same trails, get into a pattern until it becomes a rut. We must graze the same hills so they become desert wastes. Have you ever seen people sitting in a church? The last time they had a lively service was 20 years ago. And you say to them, why are you still here? My daddy was here, my grandma was here, so I'm here. But don't you know there's no greenery left? I don't care. I'm in a rut and I don't care. I'll rot in this rut. That's sheep. And it must be that we will pollute our own ground until it's corrupt with disease and parasites. It must be because we're called sheep. In other words, sheep left to themselves will self-destruct. The greatest safeguard to this is for the shepherd to keep them moving. Moving. If he wants to keep them from the rut, from the barren wastelands, he keeps them moving. Now here's the parallel with human beings, and it's very, very strong. We easily sink into habits that become destructive. Ever notice that? Have you ever noticed that? We will sink into a habit that becomes self-destructive. Just ask anybody who smokes, anybody who drinks, anybody who's in drugs. Have you ever talked to a heroin addict that said, I think today I'll just go become a heroin addict? I believe today I'll go become a heroin addict. No, no. They try it. It becomes a habit. Then it becomes a rut. Then it becomes a barren wasteland. And then they're in self-destruction. Have you ever talked to somebody who said, I do believe that today I'm going to go and learn to smoke so that one day I'm told I have lung cancer. That's a great idea. Uh Uh-uh. You pick up that thing for God only knows why, and you begin to smoke. Before long, you're smoking more. Before long, you're smoking more. Before long, it's a habit. At first, you wanted to do it. Now you've got to do it. And you're in a rut, and you're in a wasteland. You're in something self-destructive. I'm not meaning to step on any toes. I used to smoke. I was a Marlboro kid. I know the feeling. It'll get you. But how do you get there? Even your body tells you, don't do this. You take that first hit, you cough, you sputter, you throw up, but you persevere. (laughs) Until it's a habit and your body wants it. That's sheep. Everybody say with me, bah. Because sheep who go bah end up in things that are bad if left to themselves. We get into ruts, and we will stay there unless somebody lights a fire under us. Have you ever noticed that? I talked to two people this week who said to me, they contacted me, and, hey, good to talk to you. Are you ministering somewhere? I said, yeah, I'm ministering over on Healing, and we haven't been in church in months. Matter of fact, it's been about a year. How'd you do that? I was thinking to myself, this message. Well, we stayed out a Sunday, then a few Sundays, And then we walked that same trail over and over again until it became a rut. And now we're stuck and we need help out. And they were basically saying to me, light a fire under us. I said, get to church. One of them said, I need a swift kick. And I said, all right, consider yourself kicked. Get into church. You can sit out there and rot in a rut like a sheep. Or you can listen to the shepherd and let him shepherd you back into church. Amen? The rut of not praying. Ever gotten into that rut? The rut of neglecting the word. The rut of neglecting the word. Used to read it all the time. Then sometimes, then almost no times. And now, 
I know I haven't read it anything like I should, just like a sheep. How about the rut of arguing too much with your spouse? Don't look at your spouse, look up here. You ever notice that that's a rut? That's a habit? How about the rut of eating unhealthy? Now don't regret coming to church trying to help you. But it's a rut. You drive through McDonald's once, ah, you know, this doesn't hurt. These fries, how do they make these things taste so good when I'm told they're so bad? And then you drive through again, and then again, and before you know it, you're in a McDonald's rut. And you know what you're in? Self-destruction if you eat that food all the time. Real sheep and God's sheep slip into ruts that eventually impoverish them unless the shepherd prods them to move on or leads them into paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Now, I'm going to tell you something about the shepherd. I need to hear it. You need to hear it. Say the word lead with me. It's that he leads us into paths of righteousness. Now, in the Hebrew language, there's two words for lead. In verse 2, the first one is used. When he says in verse 2, he leads me beside the still waters. Now, that word in the Hebrew is beckons. He beckons me. He says, come on, come on, come on, come on. Let's go to the calm waters. Come on. Now, today, Kathy and I took our dogs for a walk. The Chihuahua and the Terrier, who you probably feel like you know by now, don't you? But the Chihuahua is okay to put down on the ground. He'll run around a little bit. He pretty well stays close to his God right there. But the Terrier, if you don't leash the Terrier, the Terrier will chase things and be gone. So we've got to keep the terrier on a leash. The chihuahua knows to stay safe and close to Kathy. The terrier doesn't know that yet. The terrier goes according to its whims and temptations and the sight of its eyes and the smell of its nose. So we've got to leash it. Now that's what he's saying here. He's saying when he's leading us to the still waters, we're like the chihuahua. Come on, come on, come on. And we are allowing ourselves to be beckoned, wooed, Easily called. But the second word for lead is not that one. When it says, he leads me in the path of righteousness, are you ready? It's coercion. He pressures me into the path of righteousness. For his name's sake. The first one is nahal. To run with a sparkle is what the first one means. So, man, you are with this thing. When God calls you to get into the Word, to get into prayer, He's leading you to the still waters, you're with Him, and you're running with a sparkle in your eye. I'm, I want Him. I need Him. I'm excited about the things of God. I don't need to be coerced. But the other one is nahag. Nahag. To drive forth, or to compel, or to carry the idea is of pressure. I don't want to go. Pastor Jeff, you always want to follow him. No, you don't. No, you do not. Get the halo off your head. There's only one person who ever wore a halo righteously, and that was Jesus. The rest of us are grabbing hold of his coattail. See, here's the deal. Now, let's be honest, Christian, church friend, fellow believer. Let's be honest. There are times we don't want to do what he says. We say no. Now we may not look up and say no, but everything within us says, I rebuke you devil. I didn't hear that. I'm not hearing that. That's not God. 
I'll do what I want. I'm going to go where I want. I'm going to involve myself in what I want. And the idea is that for his name's sake, because you wear his name, he will coerce you, he will pressure you, he will compel you by pressure to walk in a path of righteousness that you didn't want to go down. It's when we get in ruts, in comfort zones, that begin to be counterproductive to spiritual growth, that God brings pressure and drives us out of it so we can move on and grow. God brings pressure. But let me just read to you a little bit more out of Hebrews 12, just to let you know that some of what you thought was you or maybe the enemy was not either one, but it was God pressuring you. How many of you have ever felt the pressure of God and you know that it was God? moving you in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Listen to this, Hebrews 12, 5, And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord. The word for chastening is discipline. The discipline of the Lord, the leash. Don't despise the leash when he snaps it on you and pulls you in a direction that you would not normally have wanted to go or didn't know that you were supposed to go in. Nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens. He disciplines everyone he loves and scourges. Now, I'm going to tell you what that word means, or I'm not an honest Bible teacher. Scourges means whips. He whips every son and daughter he receives. Well, praise the Lord, Pastor Jeff, that's great news. Hallelujah. Let's have a praise session right here. Oh, friend, if he didn't scourge you, and if he did not discipline you, you know what you would do? You'd be in a rut, you'd be in a barren wasteland, and you would be self-destructing. Where were you when he got you in the first place? I guarantee you, you weren't in church praising the Lord. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens. He scourges every son and daughter he receives. If you endure chastening, so it must be something that is so serious sometimes, it's an endurance deal. I'm having to endure this. I'm just having to lower my head, stay on my knees, seek him with all of my heart, and endure this until it passes. Because it's going to work something for my good. If you endure it, God will deal with you as with sons. For what son or daughter is there whom a father does not chasten? There isn't one. But if you are without chastening, of which all, everybody say all. all. That means the whole church, every child of God, all have become partakers of the chastening of God. Everybody. Every child of God. If you're a child of God, you're in for a chastening. It's going to come sooner or later. You know why? Because you're a sheep. Bah. You're going to go off here or go off there. You're going to have some rough edges that need to be sanded down. God's going to come in and he is going to... Now, this is not bad news. This is good news. This is the way he works into you. One of the ways he works into you, the character and the likeness of Jesus Christ, who you say all the time you want to be like. Furthermore, verse 9, we've had human fathers who corrected us and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? Do you hear that? If you are not chastened, there's a portion of the life in Jesus Christ you're never going to know. It's the chastening, it's the discipline of God, and it's all around you. 
I guarantee you today the disciplining of God was on you at some time and somewhere, somehow. You were thinking something and he said, stop it. You were saying something and he said, watch it. You started to go somewhere and he said, no. You started to eat something and he said, hold on. You neglected the word and he said, you who, where are you? I'm trying to lead you, beckon you, woo you to the calm waters. There's not a day that goes by, child of God, you don't experience the disciplining of the Holy Spirit, the Father of Spirits, in your life. You may not stop and think this is discipline, but it is. I had it happen to me today. I was thinking negative, spiraling down into a little bit of bluesiness. And God said, where are you going? Well, I just, I'm going to be blue. Why? Because I want to. And he said, now, Jeff, I've talked to you about this. Now, stop it. Now, get into my word, give this to me in prayer, and turn your thoughts around and stop this. What was that? That was the discipline of God. Why was he doing it? Well, he tells us right here. He says, For they indeed, for a few days, verse 10, chastened us as seemed best to them, but he does it for our profit, that we may be, say it with me, partakers of his holiness. So God never brings discipline to you, not ever. He, like, he didn't say that to me today just to give me a hard time. No, he said that to me so that I would stop it, so that I would start thinking Jesus' thoughts, so that I would be more like him, because if I'm more like him, I'm a partaker of his holiness. So that's the discipline of God. We all need it. Amen, Pastor Jeff. Good preaching. Boy, I'm going to get this tape. Hallelujah. It comes to you through the Word of God. That's why a lot of people don't read the Word of God, because they know they're going to be pricked in their hearts if they read it. I was reading in Job this morning, and there were a few things in Job just stuck me. I had to say, Lord, forgive me. I see this. You know, this, this convicts me a little bit. He said, his rod and staff comfort me. Well, what is the rod? It's this. And they comfort me when I allow them to discipline me. So he says, don't fight the discipline. Sheep. Let the shepherd discipline you. Amen? God loves you too much to allow you to rot in a rut. Can you say that with me? God loves me too much to allow me to rot in a rut. Give him a hand of praise. Come on. Amen. So he may do several things, and I want you to listen carefully. You're not going to hear this from very many pulpits, and I don't know why, but I'm going to tell you. He may do several things, progressing in severity, depending on how stiff-necked you are. Let's start with some of the easy ones. He may take his peace away to drive you to the place of prayer where he has your attention. Can't sleep at night, you have no peace during the day. Something's wrong. God took his peace away. What is it? He's trying to get your attention. And so he'll discipline you. You're not going to have the Father's embrace if you're in disobedience or if something in your life needs to be straightened out. You're going to have the Father saying, listen to me. Second, he may turn a bed of roses into a bed of thorns. We find we can't enjoy the rut we were in any longer. He turns a bed of roses into a bed of thorns. He turns that which you have turned to instead of him. At first, it's a bed of roses, but it becomes a bed of thorns. Here's what God will do for you. He will cause the rut, or what you have turned to apart from his will, to become unbearable. 
Oh, you're taking in comfort in something that is not His highest will for you. It may work for a little while, but I'm telling you, God is fully able to turn a bed of roses into a bed of thorns. He's fully able to take that lazy boy and make it real uncomfortable. Hosea talks about this in Hosea chapter 2. Listen to these words. Verse 6, Therefore, behold, he says to Gomer, but really to Israel, he's talking to the people he's been raised up to prophesy to, who have turned to other gods. He says, here's what I'm going to do. Behold, I will hedge up your way with thorns and wall you in so that you cannot find your paths anymore. All of a sudden, what you were seeking solace in, apart from his will, turns into a nightmare, turns into something unbearable, uncomfortable. You can't even find your way out anymore. You're walled in. And why does he wall you in? Because if he didn't wall you in, you would chase something else over here, something else over there. You'd be running here, running there, running everywhere. So what God does is he restricts and confines your options. So that there's only one thing left when God does this. Because I can't look here, there's no more paths. Can't look there, can't go this way, can't go that way. Because he's walled me in. So all I've got left is he makes you walk in paths of righteousness. He makes you look up. No more options, no more availabilities, no more paths, no more roads, no more diversions, nothing. Until suddenly you say, what in the world is going on? What in the world has happened to my life? And all you can do is look up and break Godward. That's what he means. He makes me walk paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And when you look up, you say, what's going on? He says, what are you doing? I stopped you from destroying yourself. I stopped you from destroying yourself. He says, further, you will chase your lovers, but you will not overtake them. You will seek them, but you will not find them. Then you will say, and here's what he was after the whole time, Gosh, everything I was seeking solace in is gone. So what do you say? I will go and return to my first husband. That reminds me of the prodigal son. I will go back to my father's house. Even the servants are better off than I am in this pig pen. And what had happened to the prodigal son? Walled in, every option taken away. All he could do was come to himself and look up. For it was better for me then than now. That's what he's waiting to hear from you when he has done this, when he has led you in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake, so that he can exert on you, child of God, incredible pressure. Incredible pressure. Well, how much pressure it, uh, Pastor Jeff, depending on how stubborn you are, however much pressure it takes to break you. Which leads me to my next point. And I'm going to close with this. Say, how far will God go to lead you in the paths of righteousness? Well, in the Old Testament, in David's day, in the case of a constantly straying sheep, the shepherd would break a leg to save it. He'd break a leg to save it. Pastor Jeff, I don't witness to that. I don't receive that. I don't claim that, name that. Doesn't matter. You can name and claim, buy and lose, anything you want to do. If you stray out of the will of God... You start straying and get into a rut or into a desolate land and he's wanting to move you on and you're stuck. 
He will wall you in. He will pressure you. He will remove your options until all that is left is for you to look up. And if you continue to resist him, he will break your leg. What does that mean, Pastor Jeff? It means he takes away your natural strength. He brings you to the place where you've got nothing left in your own stubborn self-will. You expire. You break. You are exhausted. You give up. You put up the white flag. You take over. I'm done. I can fight a hundred demons, but I can't fight you. If you continue, that shepherd would take one of those sheep's legs and he would break it and he would throw him over his shoulder. He would splint it so they would heal eventually, but in the meantime, he's over his shoulder. And that little sheep might say to him, why have you done this to me? And here's what he would say. I will break you to save you. Because this life is real. And its dangers are real. Its pitfalls are real. There are real consequences to actions that can be devastating and destroy you. And if he sees that you're continuing to be stiff-necked after he walls you in, removes your options, and you continue to kick against the pricks, he will allow breaking to come into your life. What does that mean? I don't know. But here's what it will do. It breaks you. It breaks you. You give up. All right, now, I got your attention. I am coercing you out of love into the paths of righteousness for my name's sake. How can I get out of this? Walk righteously. And here's the promise. Hosea 6, verse 1. Come and let us return to the Lord, for he has torn, but he will heal us. He has torn, but he will heal us. He has stricken, but he will bind us up. How does he bind us up? Well, I'll tell you, when God takes you through a breaking that that just takes you down to the ground, you just look for that path of righteousness. I'll do anything to get peace again. And God leads you. And there you go. And as you walk in righteousness, you become a partaker of his holiness. And when the disciplining is over, there you are. He's restored your soul. He does it all, not because you're pretty or handsome or smart or talented. No, no, he does it for his name's sake. His name is on you. His life is invested in you, and he wants you to bring forth fruit. Folks, you know what? I have found that a lot of believers have no idea that what's happening to them is God's chastening them. They walk around rebuking the devil all day, every day, and they don't realize sometimes it takes discernment, but sometimes God's chastening them, trying to bring about a result in their life. And they don't discern it. They don't see it. But aren't you glad that he loves you enough not to let you rot in a rut? Father, we thank you that this is real life. And you're a real shepherd and we are real sheep. We pray, Lord, save us from ourselves. Save us from ourselves. That we will not rot in a rut. Die on a wasted hill stray so far that we can no longer hear your voice. Thank you that you come 
and you pressure us out of unfathomable love into the path of righteousness for your name's sake. We receive your chastening. We receive your discipline. Help us to be wise and embrace it. Go through it. Learn from it. And become more like you. In Jesus' name.